Cynthia Dill. Well, it's get out the vote time for Portland City Mayor Ethan Strimling, who seeks a second four-year term in next Tuesday's general election. He's in the studio today to make his final case why he deserves a second term. Welcome, Mayor Strimling. Thank you. Great to be here again. <laughs> yes, Second thank you time. for coming back. Yes. So, Portland City Manager John Jennings, who was hired by the City Council and took the position just a few months before you were elected mayor in 2015, and who makes about $100,000 more than you, mm. makes no secret that he doesn't get along with you and would rather see someone else win the election next Tuesday. It's been a clash of the titans, some would say, and Jennings threatened to resign once over a disagreement with you and has suggested he will reevaluate his future in the city if you are reelected. My question is, in your view, should John Jennings resign if you are reelected? Uh, that'll be a decision for him to make, and that'll be a decision for the council to make. Obviously, um, you know, this race, we're not running against the city manager. Um, we're running to try to make sure that this city doesn't continue squeezing out the middle class and working class folks. Uh, we are seeing the over-gentrification of our city everywhere. Looking out your windows, you can see new hotels on every corner, luxury condos being built, Airbnb. Families are just feeling it, and it's made it harder and harder for regular folks to survive. And this race is fundamentally about whether we're going to make sure that we can preserve our middle class, our working class, try to provide them the kind of wages they need to be able to work in this city, provide them the housing that they need to be able to live in this city. Uh, in the end, that is where uh, the voters will be making up their mind on which direction to go. So you won't be calling for his resignation? You know, that's up for, that's for him to decide, um, and that's for the council to decide going forward. Obviously, the city manager works for the council, so the council has to always make a decision about um, what's the right fit for that position, and uh, it's certainly the person in that job also has to decide if it's the right fit for them. But, you know, as I said, th this is really about trying to make sure that folks are able to live in the city. You know, we've seen this over-gentrification, and, I, you know, look, for four years we've been pushing back so hard to try to make sure that folks are protected, and we've won some really important victories around rebuilding our schools and pushing up wages for workers and providing property tax relief for our lowest-income seniors. These are pretty significant step forward, you know, also making sure that our schools have the kind of funds they need. We don't want to start going backwards on any of this. All but one of Portland's eight city councilors who serve with you are backing other candidates. Councilor Pius Ali endorses your reelection, but seven others do not, and some express vehement opposition. Hmm. If you are reelected next week, will you work to oust those councilors who are working to defeat you? You know, I thought Kate Snyder actually had the best uh, response to this issue in which she said, look, we decided 10 years ago that city councilors are no longer going to choose who's the mayor of this city, and I think that's very legitimate. The people of this city are the ones who are going to decide, and that's why I'm so proud of the fact that, you know, we've got folks all across the spectrum, a majority of the school board, uh, Equity in Portland Schools, Maine People's Alliance, the firefighters, over 30 unions, environmentalists, just all across the folks at the working waterfront, the lobster men and women down there, they've all joined in this campaign because they recognize that we have got to keep City Hall in the hands of the people. Uh, so we're, you know, we have to make sure that we um, win this race. Once we win this race and uh, we're looking forward and trying to figure out how can we find people who are um, in tune with this message, that'll be a conversation we'll have then. I, I, let me just say, I hope the council 
recognizes that if we do win, um, that's been an affirmation of the kind of work that we've done for the last four years. And I hope that we'll be able to work more closely, that they'll recognize that, yes. You have a mandate? Do you think there'll be a mandate? Of course, absolutely. I mean, there was when I first came in, and that's how we got so much done. You know, when I ran the first time, I ran on saying, let's ban pesticides in the city of Portland. Let's expand universal pre-K. Let's rebuild our elementary schools. Let's invest in our schools in a way we never have. Let's put responsible contracting in place and hold you know, corporations accountable to the corporate welfare they receive. We've done all of those things. And this time, that that mandate is even stronger around making sure that we can build affordable housing and push up the minimum wage in the city of Portland, expand universal pre-K even further. That's the kind of work that we'll be looking to do. Some people suggest that you have been a chameleon and that your views early on were vastly different than what you just expressed. Is that because you have listened to the people of Portland and heard their agenda and and they are leading the policies that you're trying to roll out or or what's going on how do you respond to the criticism that you you've changed yeah, your, your agenda and your personality and your campaign substantially since years ago. Yeah, I, you know, this is the kind of stuff um, columnist for the Press Herald Greg Kessich wrote sort of trying to take out you know, select phrases from certain speeches really just in a you look at my voting record look you know my voting record up in the legislature has been as progressive as it gets, 100% Maine People's Alliance, 100% with um, Planned Parenthood, 100% with League of Conservation Voters, year after year after year. Anybody who doesn't know I'm a progressive hasn't been paying attention. If they're just noticing, hallelujah, welcome to uh, have you be part of the team. But look, right now, this city needs um, to make sure that we don't squeeze out our middle class and we need progressive leadership in this city. And I'm the only person in this race who offers that kind of progressive leadership. And that's why we feel uh, cautiously optimistic about what it's going to turn out next Tuesday. Now, ranked choice voting will be used to determine the winner of the Portland mayoral race again. And with ranked choice voting, voters rank candidates in the order that they prefer them. And if no candidate wins a majority in the first round, there's an instant runoff whereby the last place candidate is eliminated and their second choice choices are, are um transferred to the remaining candidates. Supporters of ranked choice voting argue that the process fosters more civility in campaigns. They say that ranked choice voting curbs negative divisive campaigning because when candidates need second or third choice votes to win, they have an incentive or they should have an incentive to appeal to as many voters as possible. Has ranked choice voting made this campaign less contentious in your view? It seems very personal and somewhat vicious. Yeah, you know, I mean, certainly as the incumbent, we've never seen anything like it. There is a PAC now that has spent tens of thousands of dollars attacking me, and that uh, is the first time ever in the history of a Portland mayor's race. Uh, first time ever, really, that this kind of money has been spent against any candidate in particular. And that's unfortunate, you know, and they are really, as you mentioned, they're much more personal. They're not issue-based. They're not attacking because they disagree that we passed the four-school bond or increased wages for workers or banned pesticides because they know the people of the city all support those policies. You know, when you lose the debate, that's when you ultimately have to try to find a new tack and you make it personal as opposed to going to the issues. And that's what's been happening. I'm a huge supporter of ranked choice voting. Um, I, I think I like it for two reasons in particular. One is it does give voters an opportunity to really think through um, where do people rank and who do I connect with. And so they're spending more time getting to know every candidate as opposed to simply saying, okay, I know who my top candidate is. Um, now I don't have to worry about anything else. 
Likewise, for candidates, it causes us to have to have deeper conversations because I may know that you're a supporter of Travis Curran, but uh, I want to have a conversation with you to see if I could get your second place vote. So in terms of the interaction with voters, I really like the way ranked choice voting. I would also say the way ranked choice voting works. I would also say that as, as an elected official who's been elected under ranked choice voting, and remember, I've lost under ranked choice voting and won under ranked choice voting, you go into office with that mandate that we talked about. And that's a really important thing I didn't really understand. If you go into office with 38% of the vote, as John Baldacci or Paul LePage went in in their first terms, you aren't able, sorry, that was second term, um, you aren't able to go in with as much of a mandate and the confidence and your opposition can try to undermine you with that, right? I mean, certainly we did it with Paul LePage, the 61% bumper stickers. We were trying to make clear he didn't have a majority. Well, with ranked choice voting, you it takes that bullet away, as it were. So you go in, you have that mandate, you know a majority of people said, this is what we want to do and this is what we want you to accomplish. And that's why I think been so successful at all of these policies that we've been able to put in place. Is your campaign telling supporters who their number choice should be? Is my campaign what? Ur urging your supporters. Who, have you been encouraging your supporters to um, choose a, a specific candidate for their number two? Oh, no, 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 have not been. Are you encouraging your supporters and voters to like bullet no. vote? No, I, encur I always encourage people to rank as many as you feel comfortable. I don't think you need to rank everybody if you don't like everybody. You know, it's not like if there's somebody you like, make sure that you put them first. There's somebody who you feel pretty good about, make sure you put them second, but don't feel like you have to rank everybody. But we certainly say to folks, rank everybody, um, Everybody who you feel you want to, you'd be willing to have your name next to, um, you'd be willing to have your vote next to their name. So, but no, we haven't encouraged people to vote any which way or what. Now, the PAC that you referenced earlier, Unite Portland, which is funded in large part by real estate developers and real estate interests, yeah. um, I believe that they have been encouraging people to vote for either Kate Snyder or. Spencer Thibodeau as one or two. Do I think I, I haven't seen them explicitly say that. They have simply said we need a new mayor, right? So they are explicitly saying don't vote for. Now, the Chamber of Commerce, on the other hand, Jim Cohen, who is the president of the Chamber of Commerce, I think actually on your show was actually encouraging people to vote for one or the other of them. Not a surprise to me that the Chamber of Commerce wants either of them to be mayor. That makes sense, that they don't want somebody like me to be mayor because what we have been trying to accomplish for the past four years and have been successful at is you know what a lot of wealth is coming into this town we need to make sure that, that wealth gets shared we need to make sure that it doesn't all remain at the top with the select few because very few people in this economy are getting wealthy and now, it's is not that the workers is that something that you have come around to in the four years that you've served as mayor because i think when you were a host on WGAN on in the radio world, you often were at the eggs and issues, or and also on TV, and really sort of um, not chummy, but certainly on more friendly terms with the chamber. And it seemed like you were more supportive of their views. Now, it's another sort of divide that is somewhat. Um, it's just stark. The, the like the chamber really dislikes 
Yeah, I mean, I think your what, candidacy. Right. I mean, you know, that's that's a very good point. What they dislike is how effective we've been, right? Anybody can be chummy with somebody when, you know, okay, they're on TV or they're on the radio. You don't really have power to implement actual change. Sure, they're going to be chummy with whoever they can, but when you actually start getting stuff done, I mean, does anybody think that the Chamber of Commerce and uh, the realtors in this town are funding this pack and attacking this much simply because they don't like my personality? Of course not. They would care less about my personality if we weren't effective, if we weren't actually pushing policy that is ultimately going to make sure that the wealth gets shared. But look, my history as a progressive goes back well before I was even in the state Senate. I've been a progressive activist for a long time. So anybody who's just seeing that now is just somebody that hasn't really been paying attention or is choosing to ignore it for their own means. Like, oh, okay, well, maybe. But um, I, uh, this is the work I've done forever. First time I was talking to um, uh, Randy Billings when he was doing his profile. And, you know, one of the big one of the times out in California, my mother lives out there, we were uh, demonstrating for justice for janitors out there who were striking at the time because they weren't being paid good wages. We were involved in um, civil disobedience around U.S. policy in Central America. This is the stuff that I was brought up but on. But didn't so. you run one of your campaigns on a platform of developing the waterfront and wondering why the hotel wasn't built on the state pier? Well, not on the state pier. There was going to be um, the development that was going to occur there would have actually had the pier have a lot of public space, certainly have some retail, and then there was going to be a hotel off of it. Um, I'm not a, against economic development. I've never been against economic development. What we need to do is share the wealth of economic development. That's my issue. Pay workers better. I, I, I've often said, look, okay, I can support a TIF. But you better make sure that you actually create the jobs that you say you're going to create, and you better pay the workers well, right? That's not a terrible investment for the government to make if we can make sure workers get their wages. So, look, uh, you know, if we're going to have hotels, we're going to have luxury condos. I, I don't say to anybody, don't build your luxury condos. What I do say, though, is if you're going to build those, you also better build some affordable housing, or you better pay a pretty substantial fee to allow us to build the affordable housing that we need. That's been my very consistent position for a long time. The Portland Press-Herald, Maine's largest newspaper and media company, has endorsed Kate Snyder for mayor in this race after endorsing you four years ago and has written a few scathing editorials about you and a few of your supporters, including Stephen Beal, a co-founder of Progressive Portland. Has the press been fair and diligent in your view? Is the public adequately informed about the race and the issues that voters are concerned about? Uh, I'll, I'll let somebody else say whether it's fair or not fair. Um, Why? You, um, I, I just think I'm too close to it to be able to make a fair assessment of that. Um, I certainly, we certainly talk to the Press Herald a lot about trying to make sure that their coverage is balanced and sometimes um, they're better at it than other times. Uh, you know, their editorial page, in particular Greg Kessich, has really um, clearly been one-sided and that's been very problematic and um, disappointing. Uh, you know, we we try to do what we can to make sure that there's responses to what he writes. Um, but really, he's kind of been the person over there that's been the most, had the most animosity towards um, a lot of the work that we've been doing. But, you know, he opposed the four school bond. I mean, in the end, it's about policy usually. And then they try to make it about something else, whether it was body cameras when he, you know, came out against the fact that we were trying to push for body cameras to move more quickly or the four school bond or these kind of issues. These are important policies to people in the city, and that's why I fight so hard to try to make sure they happen. What do you think it is about Stephen Beal and his 
technique in building support and, and campaigning that just really irritates people like Greg Kessich and Bill Nemitz and others who are kind of in the entrenched um, political class. You'll have to ask them. I mean, I, I can't speak for them. You know, I, I appreciate um, folks who are um, engaged activists. Maine People's Alliance, for instance, has been around for a long time. They do really good work. They're really willing to call people uh, out when they um, do good work and call people out when they don't do good work. I was on the board of Equality Maine. I was on the board of the NAACP. I was on the board of the Anti-Defamation League. These are the kind of organizations that don't back down when people are um, refusing to question authority, refusing to call out injustice. So um, I appreciate groups that are fighting the good fight uh, on the ground, wherever they are. Um, and you know, there's been some really important conversations that we've had in the city of Portland in the last four years that we haven't had in years past. And so, um, you know, I work with all kinds of folks. Again, Maine People's Alliance, Progressive Portland, Protect Our Neighborhood Schools, DSA, Maine Democratic Party, all of these groups, Portland Democratic Party, getting involved is what I always encourage them to do. I won't agree all the time. Sometimes they take me to task just as much as anything else, but stay engaged. The criticism, excuse me, the criticism seems to be that um, Progressive Portland is, is often used as, as you know, the boogeyman, and and the criticism seems to be that these activist groups that use social media and other online campaign apparatus uh, are bringing Washington-style politics to Maine. And um, I think an example might be this: um, the ICE office, the um, it, the um, Customs Enforcement Agency that is apparently going to open a new office in Portland and a fundraising email came out with your name associated with it from you um, it was sent by Progressive Portland on your behalf and your campaign endorsed it and it uh, calls attention to Donald Trump's Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency opening an office and it says and I'm quoting um, uh, it, you say in the letter as I am mayor, I will do everything in my power to stop ICE from violating the human rights of our immigrant neighbors. Mm. Now the ICE office says, hey look, we're opening up an office to help protect you know, against child exploitation and to enforce sex and drug trafficking laws. Is this fundraising email that's sort of accusing ICE of, of outrageous you know, violation of human rights and you're kind of- Accusing? <laughs> Are you saying they have not? Well, I ICE guess has not. I mean, ICE is a look. I, I don't know what your position is on ICE, but I will tell you. I think that ICE um, has uh, done some terrible things. In, in do you have last... any examples that have taken place in Maine? I know that there are. Stories well, I don't know everything that happens in Maine, but what we're saying there is, uh, as I am mayor, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that the things that we have heard about don't happen in this city. And if they are saying downtown they're not planning to do that, awesome. I look forward to meeting with them, making sure that that's accurate. But look, we are a city that has made clear that we're not going to be checking your papers when you're walking down the street. We have a lot of immigrants in this city. And when an ICE office opens downtown, that, um, uh, intentional or not, can be intimidating to people. And I need people to know that as your mayor, I am going to be doing everything I can to make sure that you feel comfortable walking down the street. And that includes making sure, as much as I can and within my power, um, that ICE does not do the kinds of things in this city that they have done in other cities. 
that's what's important. In, in coming back to the issue of advocacy, you know, w what's always interesting to me is um, nobody calls out the Chamber of Commerce because nobody seems to understand how much power the Chamber of Commerce actually has. These little activist groups that are kind of out there trying to fight, trying to make some noise, trying to finally get some attention, they're doing that because there are real entrenched interests in City Hall, like the Chamber of Commerce, who have lobbyists, paid lobbyists, who are working for them to try to pass policies or try to block. I mean, they had a paid lobbyist trying to block the paid sick time policy and unfortunately was successful and one of my opponents cast the deciding vote against it with the chamber of commerce and one of my other opponents supported his position that's unfortunate Spencer Thibodeau is the per is the counselor who voted against it and Kate Snyder supports his Ex opposition yes and supported his position uh, you asked her that question and she actually um, um, uh, confirmed that here but that's the question that I don't understand why people don't ask how do you feel about the power of the Chamber of Commerce? Because all of these groups, Maine People's Alliance and Progressive Portland, they don't come close to the power that the realtors and the Chamber and these kind of business interests have in City Hall. Just look out your window and you can see that evidence. Harold Pacious, a longtime Maine Democrat, yeah. said in an interview that your style of governing and campaign tactics has amounted to essentially a war in Portland politics. It's something he's never seen before. Do you agree? I don't know. <laughs> you have to ask him. Do I agree with him? Do you agree that you've started a war no. in Portland politics? No, of course not. What we have done is what we have said is we are going to make clear that workers in this city and middle class working families, we are going to fight for them every step of the way. And if we are finally giving folks like that some power in City Hall, I'm very proud of it. Um, you know, th this is the hardest job I've ever had, no doubt about it. We have a hundred years of history of a certain form of government in the city of Portland. And for eight years, we are in the infancy of this new form of government in which people's voices get heard much more. Is that creating tension? Is that creating some cl clash? Of course. But the fundamental clash is around policy and whether progressive values are actually going to be brought into the direction that the city goes. 20 years we couldn't get a school bond passed. Decade we couldn't ban pesticides in this city. For a decade we couldn't provide property tax relief for seniors. And this is important, right? Progressive taxation is something that Democrats believe in fundamentally. For a decade we could have put progressive taxation into place in the city of Portland, but we didn't do it. And I think we didn't do it because we recognize that in order to do that, that means you have to tax the, those who are wealthier a little bit more. And we get very scared when that actually has to happen, when we finally have it in place. A little bit more progressive taxation. We have a long way to go to really turn property taxes into something that can be progressive. But we got our foot in the door, and those are the kind of things we have to keep doing. Look, a $15 an hour minimum wage, you cannot afford to live in this city on 12 bucks an hour, right? 15 bucks an hour, of course that's still not enough, but if you got two people in a household, 15 bucks an hour, you're all of a sudden making 60 grand a year. That becomes livable in terms of being able to find a place to live in this city. If we aren't willing to take those kind of steps, and it's amazing to me that folks, that all of my uh, opponents in this race, only Travis Curran has come out in support of it. Every Democrat who's running for president supports 15 bucks an hour. And two of the people I'm running against in this race refuse to say, yes, I will fight for 15 bucks an hour. So in the one minute we have or so of left, in next Tuesday, November 5th, between 20 and 30,000 people are expected to come out and vote for the next mayor for the city of Portland. What's your closing argument? 
Well, it'd be great if it's 20 to 30. We, it's usually been around 20,000. So if it's higher than that, that would be awesome to see all the people turn out. Uh, look, we've achieved a remarkable amount in the last four years trying to protect the working class, trying to make sure that we push up wages and make sure that the people's voices in City Hall, as we go into the next four years, we have a lot more work to accomplish, expanding universal pre-K, raising the minimum wage, dealing with uh, confronting climate change, but most importantly, building the kind of affordable housing this needs so people can live here. Uh, it has been a remarkable first four years, and I look forward to four more. Well, Mayor Strimling, thank you so much for joining me. Glad to be here.